Just remain standing if you would, and I want us to go to the word of the Lord today. <clears throat> I'm going to direct you to 1 Corinthians. Jeffrey, I'll talk to you right after service. I want to direct you to 1 Corinthians. Open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians if you would. We're going to read from the word of the Lord. We're going to hear the preached word of God, and I believe that the word is going to be mixed with our faith. And we're going to see the Lord continue to do a great thing in our midst. It is so wonderful. Before I read it, it's so wonderful to have Jesse and Tabitha Kaiser and their family back at New Life. Where are you at, Kaiser family? I saw you earth right back here. Would you welcome the Kaisers back home? Amen. They've been serving our country, and they're back. We're so thankful that the family is back. I know that it just feels good to have them at New Life. And we welcome them back among us uh, today. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Praise God. The book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, we're going to look at chapter number 1. Thank you to our praise team for doing such a great job leading us. There's been just a a wonderful spirit of the Lord and a wonderful blessing of the Lord through worship today. And I also want to say that I appreciate Pastor Larry. Brother Larry preached a great message this last Sunday morning here at this church. I'm thankful for the preached word of the Lord. Pastor Larry, thank you for that word that you gave us as a church family. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10. Paul is the writer, the Apostle Paul. He says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together. Everybody say together. In the same mind and in the same judgment. He goes on to say in the very first few verses of this letter to the Corinthian church that he has heard from Chloe's household that there were contentions in the church. That tells me two things. Uh, They were a normal church, and Chloe's house was a tattletale. I mean, oh, your sins will find you out. And Paul has to address this, and he addresses this contention and this division in the church. And uh, he also says, he says, you know, I'm thankful that I didn't baptize many of you personally. He said, there's just a couple of you that I baptized because if I baptized several of you but not all of you, then you could say I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and this division would continue. He said, it ought not to be like this. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Look at verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But Paul says in the 23rd verse, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Well, I want to tell the Apostle Paul he's not the only one that preaches Christ crucified because today we preach Christ crucified. Everybody say, we preach Christ crucified. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated.
It is a symbol that adorns millions of church buildings today. It hangs as a jeweled ornament around the necks of others. When preceded by the word red, it means help in crisis. When preceded by the word blue, it means health insurance. And increasing premiums, I might add. It has led armies into battle. It's looked at by multiplied millions as a historical watershed moment. It is a sinless man taking on the world's sin. It really was and still is to this day the ultimate sacrifice. I thank God for the cross. I thank God. I told the Lord as recently as this morning in prayer, Lord, I thank you for the cross because it is the axis of all human history. Everything points to the cross. We many times uh, dictate calendars because of the life of one man named Jesus. But we also are a people who when we look back at the cross, we see victory. We see deliverance. We see healing. I thank God for the cross. And so I'm going to take a few minutes this morning. I don't think I'll preach an awful long time, but I want to preach more than just a symbol of Christianity. I want to preach more than just the paradox of Calvary. Isn't it interesting that the cross considered to be one of the cruelest of executions done publicly to control and to instill fear in people did exactly that 2,000 years ago. But for us today, it is more than a historical footnote. For me today, it is more than just a symbol of Christianity. It is more than just a, a painting on a wall or a prose given by an orator. It is the cross of Calvary that is powerful, it's delivering, it's effective, it works, it's historical, but it's also relevant. There is nothing quite like the cross of Calvary. Nothing like it, brothers and sisters. We would not be here today if it was not for the cross of Calvary. We could not feel the liberty to worship God like we feel to worship God if there was not an old rugged cross with a man hanging on that cross named Jesus who gave his life, the Bible says, once and for all. It was more than just a continuation of a sacrificial system of an old covenant. But once and for all, a sinless man, a righteous man, a holy man stretched his arms between heaven and earth and said, I'll take their place. I'll take their penalty. I'll take their stain. Thank God for the cross of Calvary. Thank God. Why is the cross of Jesus Christ so prevalent 
in Christianity. And I would submit to us it is because Jesus never lost sight of the cross. No matter what he did, no matter who he talked to, no matter where he went, the cross was always within sight of Jesus. John Stott, in a book, The Cross of Christ, from 1986, said it like this, the fact that a cross became the Christian symbol and that Christians stubbornly refused, in spite of the ridicule, to discard it in favor of something less offensive can only have one explanation. It means that the centrality of the cross was in the mind of Jesus all the time. It was out of loyalty to him that his followers clung so doggedly to this sign, end quote. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 16, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must Go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He began to rebuke Jesus saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned aside to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. I'm going to tell you, that's one thing I do not want Jesus to say to me. I don't want to go to prayer and be praying to him. And he said, before I say anything else to you, I have to address you correctly. Get behind me, Satan. By the way, that proves something needs to be corrected. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. I do not preach a message of salvation and history today that is comfortable to our ears, but it is powerful to the saving of our soul. I don't preach a message that we're going to get all cozy when we talk about the cross. We're not, I understand. I know that artists for years have tried to paint the cross as a very mild little trickle of blood coming down the face of Jesus. Can I tell you something? The Bible does not bear that out. The Bible does not bear out that he was nicely put upon the cross. In fact, the prophet Isaiah prophesied and said his visage or his look will be so marred that you won't even be able to recognize him. But that is why it's so powerful. Because in one moment, in one day, he took upon himself the sin, not just of me, not just of you, but the sin of the entire world. And he once and for all settled the score and said, I will take their place. I will take their penalty. Anything, hear me right now, any message preached that somehow minimizes the gore of Calvary is an incorrect message. It's mindful of the things of men and not the things of God. It's amazing to me that Jesus rebuked Simon Peter so so quickly because 
Jesus knew that his ultimate destination would include the suffering of the cross. It had to include the suffering of the cross. Now you and I, when we look at the crucifixion in the scriptures, perhaps you're new to scripture, so let me just kind of walk this out. We look at uh, the gospel writers who talked about this execution of Jesus. And we can get in our minds certain ideas of what that must have been like. Thankfully, and I'm thankful for this, we don't practice this kind of capital punishment in our country. But there are different ways of perhaps looking at what it might have looked like on the cross of Calvary. The first is simply what is called a crux simplex. And a crux simplex is a simple upright stake. This was a form of execution many, many years ago. And some people were killed this way. Just put on an upright stake. There's also the crux commissa. It's what I just simply would describe as a capital T-shaped structure. Some people were killed on that. A different type of cross, but a cross nonetheless. And then a crux decasada. It was an X shaped cross. It was Simon Peter himself that church history and tradition tells us was crucified on this type of cross upside down on a crux decasada. And then there is the crux emissa. It would be the one that perhaps is most widely thought of as the cross of Jesus. It's just shaped like a lowercase t, if you will. Now, I am not here to debate which kind of cross. I personally feel like probably the capital T was more in keeping with what the Romans used at that time. But I'm not here to debate what kind of cross or what shape it was on. But I am here to preach the power of the cross. Because something happened on that tree. Something happened on that tree that still reverberates down to 2023. It's still effective. It still works. The the, the blood that was shed is still flowing today. It still has power to redeem. It still has power to save. We're going to baptize another person at the end of this service. And when that young man is baptized in water in the name of Jesus, according to Scripture, the blood that was shed on Calvary will wash away every sin. The cross still works. We preach Christ crucified. Now, we got to get this today. Everybody nudge your neighbor and say, here we go. Wake up. We're ready. Ready? The cross of Jesus Christ means that Jesus knows pain. And anybody that's ever hurt, would you say thank the Lord? He identifies with me. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. He took stripes upon his back, He had a crown of thorns placed upon his head. He had a spear thrust through his side. He was savagely nailed to a Roman cross of execution. And he did that. And he felt 
pain. I believe it was horrific. I don't think he just grunted when they did it. I think he cried out like we are. Why? Because he was man. He was human. And yet he can feel pain. Because of that, we can have assurance today that there is no pain that we feel that he has not felt. There is no forsaking that we feel that he has not felt. He felt pain. He knows pain. He knows what it feels for people to walk away from him. He knows what it feels to have a body wrapped in pain. The cross proves this. So we preach Christ crucified. Because I need to know that my Savior knows where I'm at. I need to know that my Savior feels what I feel. He's not some ethereal Savior up in heaven somewhere separate from who I am. But he was in all points tempted like I am, yet without sin. And he felt pain on that cross. And he went through neglect on that cross. And he went through forsaking on that cross. Can I tell you something? There is no human condition that you and I can feel that our Savior has not felt. He went to the cross because... He wanted to live his life for us, give his life for us, show us that he feels what we feel. Jesus knows pain. The cross of Christ also means that the penalty for our sin has been satisfied. Now, I'm going to try to preach calmly right now. But I cannot assure you that will happen. Because when I think about the cross of Jesus Christ, and I think about the penalty that was on my life that he took for me, my sin was great, but his sacrifice was greater. My sin was great, but his sacrifice was greater. Your addiction may be strong, but his grace is stronger. Your difficulty may be deep, but his love expressed is wider than that. It's deeper than that. It has more power than that. There is nothing that was not purchased on that old rugged cross. I think it's so interesting and so powerful what Jesus declared as his final statement when he hung on that cross. It is finished. What was finished? Yeah, that was just a hurting man saying, it's done, I'm dead. No, 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 no. That was more than the exasperated cry of last words from a dying man. That was a man that was declaring in his final few words, everything needing to be paid has now been paid. Every price that needed to be taken care of has now been taken care of. Every addiction has now been conquered. Every sickness has now been bought price for healing. That's what that meant. It is finished. Oh, I got a word from the Lord today for somebody in this house. For your healing, it's finished. For your deliverance, it's finished. For the lifting of your mind, it is finished. It's finished, it's finished, it's finished. 
It's finished. That's why Paul said it, and we read it a few moments ago at the beginning of this message, the preaching of this. To those that are lost and those that are perishing, it's just foolish to preach about a cross 2,000 years ago. But to we who are being saved, it's the power of God. I'm just going to cut right to the chase and tell you, folks, we can expect in this house before we leave a mighty visitation of the Lord. Why? Because I have never one time preached on the cross of Calvary that the Lord Jesus did not witness it with his spirit. I have never one time been in a service where the cross is lifted up and the message of the cross is preached and the victory purchased on the cross is talked about that the spirit of the Lord doesn't start moving in our midst. We need to preach Christ crucified. Praise God. See, saved people understand how personal that one day was. How personal that one execution was. In the book of Numbers, chapter 21, the scripture says they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. The people began to speak against God and against Moses, saying, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless manna, this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. Oh, Lord have mercy. And they bit the people. And many, some of you are having nightmares right now. And many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Watch what the Lord instructed Moses to do. Make a fiery serpent. Set it up on a pole. It shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was if a serpent had bitten anyone. When he looked up at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now that sounds like such a wild tale from the Old Testament. Man, is that bizarre. That's creepy. Snakes in the camp. Biting people. Help us. We've sinned. Moses prays for the people. Fashion a serpent out of bronze. Stick it on a pole and hold it up. Everybody bitten by a snake. You think maybe there was a few folks looking at the serpent? When they saw it lifted up, they lived. We go from the Old Testament book of Numbers to the New Testament gospel of John in the third chapter in the 14th verse and the scripture says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Oh, that there would be people in this room this morning, bitten by the serpents of life, 
bitten by the things that cause pain and anguish, who on a Sunday morning would not just simply stay in a state of looking at trouble from this level, but somehow on a Sunday would lift up our eyes and look on that wonderful Jesus on that cross and see the salvation of who we are in Him. He became my substitution. That's why we preach Christ crucified. And the cross of Christ also frames my understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. That's why Jesus spoke as Mark the writer told of his words in Mark 8 and 34. He quoted the words of Jesus, whoever will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. See, the cross, although it is historical, the cross must become personal. The cross does not speak of selfishness. The cross does not speak of self-centeredness. The, the cross speaks of self-denial and others first. It frames what I know to be a follower of Jesus. Self-denial. Others, not me. I love what Jesus said according to John, the 12th chapter, in verse 32, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. I want to finish with this. and I'm going to have you stand here in just a second. But um, I, I've been preaching for a few years now. I know I don't look old, but I been preaching for a few years, and I've heard a lot of preaching, and I love it. I was at a meeting recently, and had a man preach, and it was just awesome, and as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, man, I'm so glad I get to hear this kind of preaching, and I have many times uh, heard John, this passage in John 12 preach from, where, where Jesus says, if I am lifted up from the earth. I will draw all men unto me. And, and I've, heard it, I've heard it preached. Come on, church. We need to lift him up in praise. And the truth of the matter is, I could preach that right now. I could. I could start preaching right now about lifting him up in praise and lifting him up in worship. Come on, church, let's lift him up. Jesus is going to draw near. And here's the neat thing about it. If we would do that, Jesus would draw near. Because the Bible says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. If you want to start a revival on your row, start worshiping God. You know what's, what's remarkable about this? Is it doesn't take everybody on a row. It just takes one or two. So look at each other and try to figure out which one it's going to be today. <laughs> I've told you about Sister Rodriguez, gal that was in my church growing up, my home church, and she was just a little tiny thing, a little Hispanic lady, about four foot ten, and uh, she she'd get happy in church. She, she'd start worshiping God, and, and she would get worshiping God at times that other people weren't worshiping God. You know, at what would be called inopportune times. 
and she just get to bouncing and praising God and worshiping the Lord. And it was, it was awesome. I used to see this happen. It wasn't until I was an adult that I realized the power of it. She would just be bouncing and praising God and worshiping God. And I watched it happen over and over again. Certain people would look at her, and if you could see the bubble over their head, it would be, oh, here goes Sister Rodriguez again. And others would just smile. Isn't that precious? And yet others would join in. And it didn't take long before Sister Rodriguez's worship would produce another person worshiping on that row, and then it kind of spill over on the other person. And it's true, when you and I begin to praise God, we'll do it here together in just a few moments. We begin to worship God together, and the Spirit comes near and the presence of the Lord fills the house and Jesus draws near to us. However, when Jesus is declaring, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me, he is not talking about worship. Because the very next verse, this he spoke, signifying the death that he would undergo. So here's the thing about the cross. It has an attractional power that has already been established. We don't have to add one thing to the cross for it to attract people. It attracts people. Whew. It attracts people all by itself. If I am lifted up from the... Everybody say, that's already been done. Come on, shout it at me. Say, that's already been done. If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Here's what's going to happen, I believe, in the next few minutes. As we are standing together, as we are worshiping together, as we are giving our voice to the Lord together, because he has been lifted up, there's going to be a kernel of hope spring alive in somebody's heart today that your sickness can be healed by that blood of Calvary, that your mind can be freed by that blood of Calvary, that your situation can be dealt with because he has been lifted up from the earth. In just a moment, I'm going to ask us to stand. And if at all possible, I'm going to ask you not to move in and out during this time. We're not going to keep you here all day. But there are going to be some people make some decisions in the next few minutes that are going to affect their eternity. And I'm going to ask us to respect that in this house. Would you stand with me, please? We preach Christ crucified. And you, being dead in your trespasses, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out 
the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He wiped it out. He triumphed. He declared victory. He paid the price once and for all. If you're thankful for the cross of Calvary, I wish you'd take just a few moments and thank him in prayer right now. Would you do that? Come on. I don't want to choreograph. I'm not going to choreograph anything right now. But if you're, if you're thankful for the cross of Calvary, praise God. Why don't you tell him that right now? Just in your own way. Why don't you tell him thank you for the cross? Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. Thank you for what the cross means to me right now, Lord. Thank you for what it means to me. Thank you for the hope that it delivers to me today, Lord. Thank you for the, the lifting that it brings in my spirit. I feel better right now, Lord, better than when I walked in here today because the cross has been elevated in my thinking. The price has been paid. It's been once and for all taken care of. You nailed that, those requirements to that cross. You nailed those sins to that cross. You nailed that sickness to that cross, Lord. I can stand whole today. I can stand free today. I can stand pure today because of that cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.